It's, it's going to be a weird show. Well, yeah. Across the board. Just the two of us. It is. But we, we can make it if we try. You and I. Yes. You and I. Welcome, folks, to Geek Shock number 561. I am Master Torgo. And I'm 80s Jeff. And it's the 80s Jeff and Torgo show. That's, yeah. It's <laughs> yay. Hey, it's, it's better than the concept I had a while back. Like I was going to, when I had my office set up, just start doing ugly couch show videos on YouTube of just me talking about stuff and then i'm like you go right ahead no but it works better when you have people to bounce it off of which is why this concept has always worked so well it it does and and hell or high water there was going to be a show this week we didn't do it last week uh andy came back into town and of course he uh, flew in right and so out of an abundance of caution we decided to just yeah not get together that week I know he's tested since, but he hasn't got his results back, and so we couldn't do it this week either. And since he lives with Commander K, yeah, that kind of ruled out both of them. They're trying to take care of business, and hopefully we'll get them back on soon. Indeed. Uh, In fact, we, we should have K back next week, if, yeah. as long as because he's going to get tested to make sure that there's right. been no contamination and so on. If you're not aware, uh, the pandemic in the U.S. is currently getting worse, Yeah, and, and Vegas is one of those spots where it's getting worse. So we have to take a little extra precaution than we even did before, where we were taking a lot of precaution. I got kind of nervous because I went out the other day and I was like, okay, am I just going to drop off my ballot or am I going to vote in person? But when I got there, I saw how well they had the outside tent set up that I decided to vote in person. And when I went in the in the aisle they had me go into, I was all by myself. So oh, wonderful. There wasn't anybody. Uh, actually, I take that back. One person did come into the aisle, but they were on the completely opposite end from me. So good 12 feet away. Nice. So I never had anybody closer than six feet to me the whole time I was there. Uh, Nevada has the early voting really well organized, even for pandemic conditions. It really so does. Uh, I decided because of how important this election is to to vote in person. Even though they had the official ballot drop box there, I just I, I know that some states have had issues with ballot box tampering and so forth. And I will say this for Nevada: they have the early vote thing down. We've yeah for as long as we've lived here. Yeah, all, all the malls have a spot, and yeah. plus a whole bunch of others. They've opened up a whole bunch more this year. A lot of uh, voting tents. There's one just yeah. down the street from me. That's where me and my wife went. Yeah, uh, even though we're being very careful we kind of had that same idea as you yeah. like you know what we're going to vote in person just because the vote this year is so yes. damned important and we don't want republican shenanigans to uh, interfere with uh legally interfere with these because because they're trying yeah and uh, the i mean the tr- trump administration has sued basically every state that sent out a mail ballot yeah so I mean, Nevada was one of the first ones that got sued, um, and that's still apparently pending. But I know, like the early one got quashed pretty quickly. But yeah. the one that's currently going on still going on. But yeah, Nevada, you, you know, got it down, so we appreciate that. Well, I shoot. mean, my my wife is immunocompromised, yeah. and we felt it was a um, safe safe enough that we could yeah. do it in person. Well, I mean, in the twenty years that I've been out here, I've never voted on election day because of how convenient the early voting is. And in all that time, I've only had to stand in line one time. Wow. 
and I technically did stand in line for about five minutes this time. I don't really but, consider yeah, that. I was going to say less than 10. I typically don't consider that standing in line. So, yeah, um, I've never really had to wait. And the only reason I had to stay in line that one time was because the one that I went to, I went on like the like the last day of early voting well, or something like that's that. Definitely your and fault. that was, that was my fault. First day and last day. Yeah. Don't yeah. do that. Yeah. I typically go somewhere in the middle because that's, you know, but that was early after having moved out here. So I learned. Right. <laughs> right. It's, you, you learn that in person. So, uh, so, so basically that's, that's why it's just the Jeff and, and Todd show this week. <laughs> but if your state has, you know, you know, regardless of your party affiliation, if your state has early voting, please take advantage of it. Not just this year, but every year to come, because yeah. it really does ease the strain on the electoral system. It's better for you. It's better for them. <laughs> it's <laughs> and, and I know we're kind of leading with politics, but I, I wonder why uh, tomorrow is the day. Yep. And when you hear this, uh, votes will be coming in. Of course, they will be counted throughout the week. Yeah. Uh, but so I will be editing this show with like an eye on early returns and so on. So that's. Because yeah, because yeah, I, I am a bit of a anxious mess, but I have this show to work on to make it all that better. And there would have been a show tonight, whether Jeff was a part of it or not. I would have just <laughs> gone on here and for a half hour read the show notes, something out there, because I'm not skipping two weeks in a row, ever, if that's ever possible. I mean, if we had a better system for recording in multiple locations, like some of the more professionals do. I mean, we are professional, don't get me wrong, but some professionals have access to equipment that we don't. Of course. And can record a live show remotely from multiple locations. We could, but the quality would suffer dramatically. Well, well I think a fine example was last week's yes. live show. Oh, my God. <laughs> which was a, a, a joy to to watch uh, attempt and fall apart over and over again. The, what, the, 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 the amusing thing about that is what you saw in the, like, the three attempts that we went live doesn't even remotely show you all the shit that was going on behind the scenes <laughs> when we were trying to get it to go live. Because, I mean, it was just one of those is like everything that could go wrong was going wrong. They were having... Kay was having connection issues at their house. So it was, it was him, Steve, and Andy all trying to get online. Andy's son, Duncan, is online like almost 12 to 14 hours a day. So there was that potential that, you know, they didn't really know if he was online or not, but they knew that they were having issues getting online and getting a stable connection. And then when I got in there, uh, Kay's been real resistant to uh, download the, the Facebook app onto his phone, which I can understand because, you know, it's like once you do, it's like you're, you're stuck with it. Um, <laughs> So he had been K using K butts heads with Facebook enough as it is. Yeah. So like he was having issues with it, granting him permissions because he was going through like the web portal. So he had to download the app and then he had to uninstall and reinstall the app. And then he had messenger light. So he had to uninstall messenger light to get the full version of messenger. Yeah. And then we don't want to know every step of this way. <laughs> and it was so weird too. Cause like when we got on, they could all hear me just fine. But as soon as we went live, they could still hear me in the recording. But my It wasn't going out. It was wasn't going not, out to uh, anyone that was tuning in. Yeah. So everybody thought, it's like, why is Jeff still talking when nobody can hear him? And it's like, well, no, the guys can hear me. So 
I had had this idea as like, okay, well, we could set up a different connection and go live for that. And then I can just have that be the host computer. And then I could log on through like my phone or something. But then, you know, Kay ended up doing that and uh, they got it all figured out. But it was just like one of those, like, it's hard to do from two different locales. Oh, it's much time. easier to do if I'm there and I can walk the person through it. It's yes. much more difficult to do step by step over the uh, over the phone, even though I was doing video chat as well. So anyway, I don't know that we'll necessarily do that again through Facebook chat because I know Zoom is a little better. I do want to thank everybody that was able to jump on with us in the first try. It wasn't supposed to happen that way, but it was nonetheless uh, enjoyable to see all those faces pop on. Uh, on my screen, even though I wasn't able to scroll through all of them. Good shout out to, to Sam Heffernan for uh, staying on with us the second time around. Yeah, and a little especially because yeah. yeah, he was it was like four a.m. his time. Sure, when he was on with us, and uh, that was fun. And before we jump into what geeky things we did, I also want to thank everybody who joined me on my first actual Twitch stream this last week. We played some Jackbox games, and I was very surprised at how many people showed up. Yeah. I mean, you guys all showed up, which was a, a nice treat. Yeah, that was great. Uh, but but it was so wonderful to play games with everybody for about two and a half hours. So, so we'll be doing that again sometime soon if you missed it. If you want to join in, my uh, Twitch uh, handle is MasterTorgo, one word. And it's weird because there's other people that are now being Master Torgo on Twitch, which is weird. Weird me out. Yeah, I saw that. I'm like, I'm like there, there's a, there's a Master underscore Torgo out there. They're like, what? Where did this all come from? Somebody out there has '80s Jeff, and whoever has Master underscore Torgo has like a painted miniature as their picture. Oh, how funny! I somebody's in the know made that. That's that's all that is. So don't be fooled by fake Master Torgos out there. There's just the one, and he barely knows how to get it started for Jack games. So does that mean that we're going through the same thing a lot of celebrities do when they try to make a Twitter or a Facebook account? Nope. Okay, <laughs> Nowhere near, because celebrities, we're nowhere near them. Because <laughs> I know they've gone through those same issues. They're like, well, I typed in my name, and it wasn't available. And I'm like, somebody has you know, my name or my nickname taken, and you know, they've had to spend money to get it back in some oh, cases. Oh, sure. And uh, so here it is, Jeff. What geeky things you do this week? I watched the entire Netflix anime series Blood of Zeus. It's a really interesting little uh, Netflix anime series. It was written for Air American audiences. Okay. It does sort of eliminate the complaint that a lot of anime purists have with the whole, you know, it was written in another language, so that's why the, the overdubs don't match up. This case, it kind of does, but it's more just the anime style. It's a neat little series. It's eight episodes. I want to say each episode is only about 23 minutes long. Okay. So um, you can literally get through it probably in a day or less. Yeah, it's like, what, three and a half hours if you... I watched the first four episodes on one day before I went to bed. And then the, the next day, um, I watched the other four. It's based in Greek mythology, even though it purports to be an original story. Uh, it's, okay, it's, sure, I get it. It's, I mean, it's hard to explain. You can, you can tell I, an original story yeah. with the the Greek background of the. I well, guess because the first episode says that Greek mythology was originally an oral tradition, so many of them weren't written down. This is one of those, and so that's where it kind of gets into that whole weird area where you're like, is this something that they just heard about? Is this an original story that they wrote? I haven't really been able to get an adequate answer for that in any of the online reviews that I've read. 
I do know that it seems to me like a mashup of a lot of the different things that you see in different movies and TV shows, a lot of those elements which are, which are mashed in and then coated with the veneer of Greek mythology, which is understandable because a lot of modern storytelling does harken back to a lot of the original Greek of uh, course. and Roman traditions of storytelling. So, so, so what point of view is this? Is it one of the gods against the other gods, somebody that's not of the gods that enters their pantheon? What? What's the so, core of this? So the, the, the lead character is a demigod. He is a son of Zeus, doesn't know it. He knows that he's considered a bastard and kind of street trash, um, him and his mother. Well, his mother fucked a goose. That's how Zeus does his shit. But he doesn't really know his mother's backstory. He doesn't really know his I know his, his mother's own. backstory. Right. <laughs> it gets into that in the first few episodes, and then... The storyline is there are these demons which are attacking human civilizations, and then they get into the origins of these demons, which uh, it's essentially the the gods of Olympus fighting the evil gods, and then defeating them, and then their blood mixed with the ocean and created these giants, which the gods had to defeat, and the gods took the souls from these giants, but they couldn't do anything with bodies, so they cast them in the ocean. Well... When these bodies washed up on shore and are discovered by humans, it draws out the evil from them and essentially turns them into these demons, and especially more so if they eat the flesh of these demons. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a big jump from, I discovered a body and became a demon to, oh, I discovered a body and I ate it. It plays with a lot of religious mythology as you know, because... Wait, like Christian mythology? Well, Christian mythology has a lot of origins in... Greek and well, other well, mythologies. Yeah, yeah, certain, so, certain tenets so, and celebrations, absolutely. But there, there is a difference in the say that there's a lot of gods on this side and the three as one on this side. And like I said, it's kind of a mashup of a lot of these different elements. So I would watch an anime. It's fun. I enjoyed it. Of the Christian gods versus the the Greek gods versus the Roman gods, who are just twins of the Greek gods. And yeah, I would watch that. Yeah, Full battle royale. It would piss so many people off, and it'll be great for it. I've always found it fascinating um, with a lot of these uh, stories that take elements from different religions because, you know, a lot of the origins of modern Christianity come from a plethora of oh, different yeah. religions, and people don't really realize how much of that was combined together to form... Pluck a little bit here, pluck yeah. a little bit here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> pluck pluck this from this group because yes, you want to steal the celebrations from them, <laughs> Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I won't get deep into it, but a lot of the origins of the Catholic Church did that. It's like, oh, let's take, let's cherry pick this element, this element, because you had a lot of pagan religions in ancient Rome that in order to appease all these different religions when creating sure. their version of Christianity it was like, oh, well, if we take this, this, and this, this, we draw all these people in, and, and now we have a a base of people from which to grow. Sure, Smashburger didn't invent the burger, but boy, they uh, <laughs> you like burgers, don't you? Why don't you try ours? Except they closed that one. They fucking closed that one, Jeff. Yeah. I'm not happy about it. Smashburger is good, and that was my Smashburger. It's gone. Fucking pandemic. Right? Yeah, I, I literally drove over there one day, and I'm like, oh, 
It's closed. Yeah. I was going to get takeout because I was just in the area and I'm like, oh, I can get a smash burger. No, no can't. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kay decided to completely bring me down earlier this week by texting me that uh, my favorite and the best of all used bookshops in Vegas is closing. No. Uh, yeah. Amber Unicorn Books is yeah. uh, closing its doors in December. Like Put- all their books, like $2 off to clear inventory. Do, don't you and still have off, like all $2 period. Don't you still have like a shitload of store credit with them? I do, which not, no, no mas. Fucking pandemic. Truth, man. It's stealing so much. Watch the first episode of The Mandalorian. Really good. I'm, I'm really interested to see where they go this season. It was very good. Yeah. And, and if you didn't see the first season, why would you watch this second season without the first? But right. it does a good job of just plain yeah. introducing everything that you could start there. Yeah. Um, I don't know and- why you would, but... I loved all the little Easter eggs that were in it. Plus, I've, I've said it before on this show, I really like these tangential stories in set in the Star Wars universe because I really feel like you don't need to always follow the Skywalker saga to understand that there is this whole universe of stories to tell. I get why they have the little tie-ins going on this season because they want to bring more people in and I, I get that from a from a production standpoint it makes sense but i i love these original stories that are being told outside of that group of core rebels that we've spent 40 plus years they've been expanding this stories for eight for ages and now they're making those expansions uh, uh canon yeah uh but what i will say is this episode uh one of its characters was from the books yeah. From uh, Chuck Wendig's Aftermath series. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Cobb Grossberger. I can't quite remember his name. Oh, uh, the, the Marshal. Yes. So he, he was in one of the, there's, if you read the Aftermath stories, again, Chuck Wendig's Aftermath, great. Great set of Star Wars stories. Uh, but he does these little vignettes in between the main story of just telling little mini stories of this character way out here. And... He's one of the uh, characters of a couple of those mini stories yeah. throughout that three book series. So it's cool to see that book character come to life. Which is one thing that I can't figure out why a lot of the man babies are complaining about this series. Because I remember what a fit they threw when all of the expanded universe was essentially sure. cut out of canon. And I can under well, I can understand uh, some of that up- upsetness about. Well, no, it. that's that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is. John Favreau and Dave Filoni are doing a really good job of taking elements from that expanded universe and bringing it into this extended universe and making it canon. I should, not all, but some are complaining about that. And I'm like, you're the same people that were complaining about all of these things being washed away. Now it's being brought in and you're still fucking complaining. Wendig's Aftermath series had overtly gay characters in it. Right. And and this was written post the Star Wars legend separation of the extended book series from way back when. Sure. So it was one of the book, first books written in the new actual canon where if you read a novel, it takes place in the Star Wars universe period from here on in. Gotcha. Uh, it was one of the first ones to do it. But since he included some gay characters in there, that's when the man babies went all fucking nuts. Okay, that makes sense now. Right. I wasn't aware of that element. I, I can see the man babies getting all upset that, well, they used the, the, the woke book to put a character in the show. Yeah, I can see it. I can see it. That's going to happen. 
don't bring reality into my fantasy. <laughs> it's like, guess what? Sci-fi and fantasy have been doing that for time and eternal. But uh, I digress. After forever, I finally finished uh, Horizon Zero Dawn on PlayStation 4. Nice. Uh, you finished the game, yes. right? Yes. Uh, so Loved it. That is an amazing, amazingly deep science fiction story. Isn't it, though? I, I was super impressed. I mean, it's so good, I don't feel like I can even spoil it now. Yeah. Like, if you have not played Horizon Zero Dawn, and I know they're making a sequel coming out sometime yeah. next, like 2022 or something like that, but... Man, that it, it is a science fiction story that rivals great novels. Yeah, I mean, like the, the ending is both satisfying as well as depressing. And I, you know, even like you, even years later, I mean, it's been what, two years since that came out? Yeah. Because I, I, yeah, it was 18, right? That I believe came so, out. yeah. So even two years later, I hesitate to say anything about the storyline because. People are still discovering it. Yes. It, years it only, later. It only came out on PC, I think, uh, like a couple months ago. Okay. So I, it's, I didn't it's, know that. So it's fairly new to PC-only gamers. And it is a PS4 exclusive. So Xbox people, if that's all you had, you, you wouldn't have access to it. Right. So, yeah. I, so I'm not going to spoil it. And it's one of those things that's like, you know something's going on because when you start out, you're basically a, a, a low-tech native. Right that are, is fighting these high-tech robots yep. in, in a very, I hesitate to say Neanderthal-esque world, but as far as a, a low-tech world. Yeah, it's a, it's a post-apocalyptic world that you as a character don't know is post-apocalyptic until early in the storyline. Sure. Because you, you slowly start to discover it within the first couple hours of the, of the game. But when you discover the origin of the planet that you are on. Yeah. It is mind-blowing. It really is. They, they, and, and not only just mind-blowing, but complex. Yes. The story underneath it is just phenomenal. So uh, I can't recommend Horizon Zero Dawn enough. It's been out for a while. Uh, so PS4, you should be able to find it super cheap, especially when they're having their sales. Yeah. Um, I, I saw it not long ago for less than $30. Oh, I've seen it for 15 Oh, I didn't. Yeah, yeah, when PlayStation's having their sales, bah, get it, 15 bucks. Okay, because I was going to say, I, I knew I'd seen a copy in the wild unopened, new unopened for like 15 or $20, so. And so after I was done with that, I started playing the brand new, as in, just came out this week, Watch Dogs Legion. Oh, boy. And I, I, I'm a big fan of Watch Dogs. Okay. I, the first one was really good. Second one was even better. I don't know yet how I feel about this one. Not mind you, I've only probably put in about eight hours thus far of what's probably a forty-hour game. Sounds like a typical Torgo problem, though. Sure. <laughs> it's like, it's like sometimes sequels have diminishing returns, and sometimes they can be as good or better than. But it has a neat conceit to it, and the fact that. You are anybody that you see on the street, mm-hmm. friend or foe, uh, you can end up recruiting them for your hacker group. Okay. All right. The, the basic story overall is it takes place in near future London. When I say near future, like 2050. Sure. And you're the hacker group DeadSec, which has been the ha- good guy hackers through all of the Watchdog series. 
uh, gets blamed for a series of bombings and goes underground. And mm. it turns out that those bombings were done by a corporation to then rush in with their private security to take over all of security of London. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, their recreation of London, amazing. Nice. It is as London is my favorite city. If you've listened to the show forever, you you know this. There's no city better than London. Yeah, he won't shut up about it. Ain't that goddamn <laughs> truth? And they they recreated it almost to a T, street to street. It's really impressive. Nice. And like all the music on the radio is all British based. Uh, if you haven't heard of the rapper Stormzy. Nope. Uh, probably haven't if you <laughs> it's, it's really an England only thing uh, I feel like middle aged man right now who is this that you speak of British rapper he's fantastic he's in the game so you so Americans are going to get exposed to him when you unlock that part of the game uh, and check out his raps they're great uh, but you, you can again you can anybody you see in the street you can uh, see there you can use a little phone thing to hack a little bit about them. You can see what their skills are to see if you want to recruit them. So you're not building a personal character and increasing their skills like you have in the other games. You are recruiting other people with different skills, and then you can switch between them and control them as you see fit for every mission that you're on. That is interesting. And it's a neat conceit. However, it also spreads out the storytelling and kind of takes away the emotional depth of it. Okay. Like in the first two games, you, you have a reason why you're doing something and it's a personal reason. Okay. Uh, this one, there's no personal reasons because you have a whole bunch of different people. Yes. You are taking, uh, London back from this new fascist police state. That's kind of the whole idea. And on a macro level, it does work. On a personal level, though, you don't have one character that you are attached to that you feel their emotions for what happens to them. And therefore, there's a real strong detachment in this game to what is happening. It's like, I know I have to go over here and ring the bells of, of Big Ben that haven't rung for years just to engage the populace. But it, it just it feels like it's just work because you have to do that to advance the game, not because you're emotionally invested to get this done. Hmm. So that's the problem I'm having with it right now is just this emotional detachment to it. And because of it, I, I, I think I'm going to be giving it up. Oh, okay. I'm still going to play it for a little bit. I want to see if it, if it does capture my interest. Sure. Uh, and the fact that it's in London is going to definitely increase its longevity for me just to visit the sites, if nothing else. But as a, as a story-wise, yes, thrash the police state. I, I get that part of it. But I'm just not emotionally invested in it from a storyline point of view. I was going to say, yeah, the, some of the best storytelling is, that is where there are elements that engage you emotionally, where you're, you are attached to a character, a place, or a thing. Yes. And it seems like, from what you're saying, all of those elements are removed at least up to the point where you're at right now. So, yeah, why would you want to continue playing something that you're completely detached from? I, I get that, absolutely. Assassin's Creed Odyssey, mm -hmm. uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, open world games. Right. 
but one where you feel you have a sense of purpose and a reason for doing things on a personal level where you kind of inhabit a character. Yeah. Where here you're inhabiting multiple people that are all the same except for their skills. Right. Other than that, they handle the same except for some are good at fighting and some are good at hacking. And uh, I, I just recruited a guy who is a living statue. That's what he does for his work. So you can use that to kind of hide in plain sight. It's it's things like that, which it's neat. But I don't know anything about this living statue guy, except that he's a living statue. So it's almost like an Ocean's Eleven, except for all the people that you're recruiting for their different skill sets, you have no backstory with. So there's no reason for you to care right. whether they live, die, or whatever and, and in this story. And, and, so yeah, that, that makes, that makes sense to me. And no real personality. Cause whenever you get a, a person, they're kind of randomly assigned a, a, a voice actor for that. Uh-huh. Uh, for example, uh, when I finished this one quest, I was able to get a, a spy, a person that used to work in like uh, MI five or whatever. Okay. And so it was a, an English spy and kind of looked like James Bond had the full James Bond suit. It came with a <laughs> silencer and a special watch that could uh, interfere with the uh, guns of other people. And I'm like, okay, cool. And then when he started talking, he started talking with a Russian accent and uh. it just breaks the thing <laughs> because it's it, it, the character as when you're exposed to him, he's so British. And when he opens his mouth, he, <laughs> he was randomly assigned a Russian accent in the game. <laughs> And it and it was it is so bizarre. Would have been more appropriate to put on a Scottish accent, right? Eh? Oh yeah, we'll get to that. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, and I've also been playing what is probably the best role playing game uh, of all this year. There's okay. no role playing game that beats it, and that is uh, Major League Baseball: The Show Twenty. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I, the baseball game that Sony makes is a role-playing game through and through. I will argue it to my to, to the end of my life. You're, you're not wrong. I mean, the, especially the way that they have developed, at least the last couple that I've seen you play, you know, where you've got to create your character, you've got to create your backstory, you have to, you have to enhance that player's skills over time through experience. Yes. It's very RPG. Very much so. It's, and it's, it's, and it's almost tabletop RPG the way that it's laid out, it's, it's, even though it's on a video game console. It's 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 all about increasing your stats in an RPG yeah. style, and you do that by using those skills in the game, much in the same way of Skyrim. And it's uh, not like you directly roll dice, but when you're in various actions, you don't know what the outcome's going to be because you're almost kind of rolling every time you push a button on your you controller. Are. It, it is using a statistics and random organizer behind the scenes. There's right. no doubt about it because some of your pitches just go, I'm, I'm playing a pitcher, yeah. uh, just go off into La La Land and sometimes they're, they're stuck right on and that's just the random engine at work because the whole idea of certain pitches do not uh, are not as easy to pull off and has a much more randomized element to them. Yeah, I remember several times watching you throw pitches where you hit every thing that you were supposed to do with the controller perfect, like you'd hit the perfect area where to pitch it for that particular batter, the perfect um, power level to throw, and they still scored a home run on you. And you're, and yes. it's like it's like all of these elements should have struck out this this batter, but suddenly 
you know, they're knocking one over the fence. Yep, there's there's so much under the hood on this. And, of course, I can't help myself because there are a lot of character generators out there in the world. Uh, but few allow you the extremes that sports games do. Yes. And wrestling games and, yep. and Major League Baseball, the show. They allow you to make complete, absolute chuds. And I just absolutely adore that. I can't help myself but but to push the extremes. The, the, the guy that I'm uh, pitching right now, uh-huh. uh, my pitcher is named Rusty Soup. Oh, no. All right. He's from England. Uh, his backstory he is well uh, let me describe him a little bit he has very very uh, small eyes with with large lids around them and a very thin face uh, he's he's a brownie is what he is uh, and when i say in like the the pixie and uh, yeah. yeah the 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 underdark land of the woods you see his parents when they you, you cuz th- that's the whole fear right when you in in, in english folklore that the pixies are going to come steal your child and replace it with a changeling, right? So you protect your children from the, the creatures of the woods. Uh, this set of parents wanted the opposite. They didn't like their kid, so they kept leaving the kid out in the woods in a crib, hoping that the, the brownies would change it with a changeling, and it never would because they didn't want the thing. So it just went almost for a year, and then finally they, the brownies got a chud of their own, and they just switched it out. And so the, the parents were very happy that their child was now this creature of the woods, this brownie, but it ended up, the curse was that it ended up having a very, very unhealthy obsession with American baseball to the point that it ran away and was able to end up joining a major league baseball team and became a superstar along the way. And so, and he, that's what he looks like. He looks like, uh, you know, Mac tonight, from McDonald's. He kind of looks like that a little bit. And with a big red afro. I was going to say, folks, if you've never seen some of his character creations, think Sloth from the Goonies, because that is the template for a lot of his designs. And then they go off from there. So It's uh, whatever the system will let him do. (laughs) I have been playing this character since the pandemic. And I think I am in year 2028 now oh wow i have never played this game so far down the line to where it's, yeah to where i'm now going into uh my contract is up and i'm now going into free agency and i'm dealing with my uh, uh my agents and trying to get the best contract with uh with the padres are looking at me now it's wow it's 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 a it's a, it's a role-playing game crazy so so blessings on you 20 uh, the show twenty. You've you've been you've been wonderful. Absolutely. Anything else you do, Jeff? Continuing to watch the right stuff on uh, Disney Plus. I've always enjoyed storytelling where they try not to pull any punches when they talk about the human characteristics of heroes, because quite frankly, a lot of the Mercury Seven did things that, especially today, would be frowned upon. The philandering. The Explicit use of alcohol to extreme in many cases, ignoring health issues in order to continue doing what they were doing, etc. I will say there's some unnecessary drama fed into it that you're just like, they don't need to go to this extreme, make the story move forward, but it is what it is. Mostly it's still enjoyable. I am disappointed so far they have not really addressed the other side of, you know, from what I remember of the book, I might, 
I could also be confusing with the movie because for a long time I had trouble separating, you know, elements of the book and the movie because I'm such a fan of the movie and I had seen the movie before I read the book and subsequently I've seen the movie several more times since. So sometimes the line gets blurred between the two, but I seem to recall elements of the Air Force and the high flight experiments that they did, you know, in the movie, they specifically focus on Chuck Yeager. But if I'm remembering correctly, they do focus on not just Yeager, but other test pilots in that era and the extremes that they went to, to try to, you know, break into, you know, the edge of space. It's interesting that the, this version of the right stuff is not addressing any of that so far. So I want to say they're about halfway through. So I so it doesn't it seem, seem like they're going to do it anytime soon. Doesn't seem like they're going to do it at least in this season. Apparently, there is a second season planned for this. Um, so maybe they'll do it in there because I don't really see how much more of the Mercury Seven story you can tell in the the second half of this season unless you really stretch it out. But overall, I'm liking it. Uh, right. Like I said, it's not without its faults. And in fact, it's ironic that uh, the points that I'm bringing up, I did just before we started recording, see that uh, Professor Biggs made some of the same complaints on uh, Facebook regarding that. Last thing I wanted to say is I know several of our listeners had not seen uh, season seven, the final seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I uh, just wanted to make sure I let everybody know that if you're not aware Season seven, so now all seven seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. are now on Netflix. So if you missed out on the seventh season, you can watch it. And I do highly recommend checking it out because they really did some amazing storytelling in this final season. Uh, The way that the episodes were presented, the different genres they played around with while presenting this final season. And in my opinion, sufficiently wrapping up a lot of the storylines of these characters and then still leaving it open to them possibly appearing further on in the the MCU. So anyway, if you haven't watched it, highly recommend it. I might even end up rewatching because I really enjoyed some of the genres they they dabbled in. Uh, They did a film noir episode. They did a 80s centric, or well, they did an 80s centric style episode. They did a 70s centric style episode, which they did an amazing job of recreating those filming styles in these episodes. And that's just throwing a few of them out there. There's more, but anyway, if you haven't watched it and have any interest, please check it out. Uh, speaking of eighties episodes, is it, is it that show that is it called the Goldbergs? The one that keeps having those eighties uh, throwbacks. It's, it's, it's all set in the eighties. So right. yeah. Uh, apparently the guy that uh, writes that show runs that show. Yes. Uh, has been wanting to make a sequel to Goonies. I've heard that. For ages. And apparently he's going to be pitching to Richard Donner again here real soon. Really? And he released uh, some concept, uh, well, a concept picture. Uh, Didn't put out there what his pitch was or anything like that, but he just to kind of tease it and I guess try to drum up buzz before his pitch. And it's it's a great concept uh, drawing. And it's the bone organ uh-huh. from Goonies in the background, uh, but a pers- but it's a museum. They they turned the whole one-eyed Willie trap zone 
really into a museum and there's like a sign that says uh, like willie's wild slide on the side and, and i i love that idea because his his pitch uh, is i know that he's been working with is it is following these characters 30 years later okay and the effect that it had on their life and i believe this is andy's character uh from that show the the redheaded girl uh-huh. looking at that organ kind of remembering because she's kind of holding on to the one-eyed willie key looking at it but i love the idea of of turning what we saw in goonies because it is what they would do they would sure they would they would go in and archaeologists would do their thing and then they would turn it into an attraction to see this is where all those kids went and this is the bone organ that almost killed them well if he's going to make the pitch to Donner, he better do it soon because Donner is 90. Oh, sure. And, uh, you know, I hate to say it, but, you know, who knows how much longer he is going to be around because as much as I love Donner and his films and, you know, all the things that he contributed to my childhood, <laughs> you know, 90 is not young. No, and <laughs> no, it is not, as we learned this week. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, on top of it, because I saw it in the news, and it's not really news yet, because there's nothing there yet. Uh-huh. Uh, but Tom Holland is working on a Fright Night 2. Really? Yeah, he says he has 31,000 words in on the screenplay. Now, of course, there is an official Fright Night 2 that was already made, but but Holland had nothing to do with it. So right. this would be going back and doing what basically what they do with Halloween now is... The first movie and now the new Halloween movies are all that existed at this new canon. Yeah, it's that soft reboot where it's a sequel slash uh, introduction of new characters to possibly but carry that, on. But that's just it. It's not yeah. that. It no. is a, it is a continuation. He's, he's it's just a straight up continuation. Yes, the, the evil lead is going to be in it. It's going to be, have the same actors as that's his his idea. Huh. And he says he has most of the actors already on board to do this so but again this is not even in development he's writing a script right. hoping to sell to get it in development this is early stuff yeah, this is just me being excited yeah that's that's that spec territory right there <laughs> well kudos, kudos to him I, I you know hope it works out for him uh anything else jeff before we get into some news uh that's that's all that i can recall it's all right the, the past i was gonna say week but nope two weeks <laughs> since we didn't uh record last week although i did kind of address some of that on the on the the live stream that we did but uh and i do want to do a shout out to uh, all the missing cast members matt andy and Kay. uh it's that would be doing this if it weren't for a massive pandemic still right. going and raging worse than it it has so yep unfortunately the yeah. numbers are going up again but it's not like we didn't see it coming this is true yeah this we we the, were repeatedly the, the scientists warned. warned us, right? Yeah, the 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 experts complete, you know, continuously warned us, and goddamn it, though, the scientists are always right. Ain't that the truth? Which is funny because it always reminds me, like in the movies, you know, it's like politicians don't listen to scientists. Cataclysm occurs. Politicians turn to scientists to save the day. Scientists save the day. Politicians return to ignoring the scientists. It's yeah. like it's like. When do you know when art imitates life? <laughs> it's like we're living that right now. <laughs> well, science speaks truth to power, and power don't like it. That's true. That's true. So that brings us to something related news you don't give a shit about. Oh, Andy, I miss you. 
you're just miles away and I miss you. <laughs> Quibi. I, I was going to say. I, or I Quibi. Forgot, I forgot the next line because I was going to do a miles away joke. <laughs> you mean like a winger miles away yep. joke? Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot the next line. <laughs> Consider yourself spared, monkeys. <laughs> just when I needed you most. <laughs> or, or unspared now. You're not, no longer spared. You were miles away. <laughs> Quibi, the uh, $2 billion effort to push short-form content on mobile devices is shutting down. Yep, got that email this week. <laughs> you, you joined what, three weeks ago? Uh, something like that, yeah. <laughs> three, three or four weeks ago. Users can expect all services to cease on December 1st. The service debuted in April to a ton of fanfare in a statement reported by Variety. The platform cited a, quote, changed industry landscape and ongoing challenges, unquote, in making this decision. No shit. Named for an, a, a legion of quick bites, uh, Quibi, or Quibi as we called it, has promoted its robust lineup of all-star content, which includes creators from like Steven Spielberg to Sam Raimi, to produce short-form episodic entertainment aimed at mobile users on the go. As recently as this month, the platform was actively touting its most recent series, including the newest batch of episodes of Raimi's 50 States of Fright anthology, as well as the horror series like When Streetlights Go On and, and Expecting. Uh, Kevin Smith also hosted a New York Comic Con panel to promote Quibi's Marvel vs. DC Comics retrospective Slugfest, which he narrates. While a reported 4.5 million people downloaded the Quibi app in its two-month launch window, and 1.6 million signed up for either the $4.99 per month ad-based subscription or $7.99 ad-free counterpart, the service was unable to, quote, grow significantly through the middle months of 2020, despite the pandemic, unquote, uh, reports deadline. Quibi's statement also says, quote, at this time, we do not know if the Quibi content will be available anywhere after our last day of service. We recommend following hashtag Quibi on Twitter, for any news regarding content, unquote. Yeah, that is funny because Amazon Prime Video, Netflix, and Hulu all saw their numbers go up during the pandemic as far as like number of uh, ep you know episodes of different shows downloaded, streamed, etc. And it's funny that Queeby just did not even break in. I I just don't know if it's the short form, if it's the storytelling formats. I, I just don't know. Because I think I know poor management. <laughs> no, no, I don't. I, honestly, I think it was managed as well as it could be. They they got big names to do big entertainment on yeah. small screens, and I think, and I know there are outliers to this, but I think overall, people watch things on their phones because they have to, like when they're in travel yeah. or they're at work at uh, on break or That's whatever. True. They're if they could, they watch a show on something larger. Sure. But since all I have is my phone, I can just stream things now just to watch the, the rest of this Netflix show. And then I can go home and watch the rest of it on a bigger screen when I get home. Right. But to have content that its purpose is to be watched on your phone, I don't think that is people's go-to choice for video entertainment. And I, I, I've watched, uh, I watched the whole series Die Hard, which was starring Kevin Hart, and um, um, it was just kind of meh. And it was funny because I, I, I think Kevin Hart is very funny, and it also had um, John Travolta in it, and 
both of them played their parts very well, but just the overall storyline was just kind of meh. And uh, and I watched it on the the TV app, so I was able to watch it in the you know the standard sixteen nine format, which is ironic because you know here we are in twenty twenty. That's now the standard versus you know twenty five years ago. You know the four three format was the standard, but uh, for watching things at home. But uh, but what I, the, the show know, the lo- I, longest show on there is how yeah. long? How long? Uh, in that particular series, the longest episode was like nine minutes, and they will roll right into the next one. But there's still the pause, and then the the issue that I have is that when it rolls into the next episode, it does like a five second recap or, or five or ten second recap of the previous episode, and it's it makes like, sense because it's 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 assuming you're gonna you're supposed to watch it in, in quick bites, right? right? So you're you're supposed to watch an episode like when you have a little ten minutes on the bus or you know, a little ten minute break, and then you are away sure. for it for a few. Then you come back and get that little five second thing to go. Oh yeah, that's what happens. Let's see what happens next. It doesn't seem like you can tell a deep story in that format. I just don't feel like I feel like you can tell a deep story if you're doing it as a as an, a story arc. And you're just seeing little bits of it. But I also don't feel like the recap is helpful to a short form presentation because you're starting to take away parts of your storytelling in order to reintroduce what happened in the last episode. And even if you're going back to that because of how short each episode is, in many cases, those episodes were only five to seven minutes long. So... With that little bit of time, and then still adding in credits and stuff, why you're spending time doing a recap when you can easily spend five minutes of your life going back and watching the previous episode <laughs> if you've forgotten, and then go, oh, okay, I remember now, and then move on. So I, I, I honestly feel like, at least with that particular series, it was a disservice to him. Now, the series which... Um, is escaping my, uh, the name is escaping me right now, uh, starring Anna Kendrick. Uh, this with the sex with, doll? Yeah, with, you know, the, the girlfriend that discovers boyfriend's sex doll, and whether they, they still haven't, where I'm at in the series, they haven't determined whether that's her mental issues that are, you know. Because the, the sex doll comes to life, right? It starts talking to her. It doesn't, it's inanimate other than it talks to her. Okay. So it has a personality, it speaks to her, but it can't move and asks her to do things for it. So they haven't determined whether Anna Kendrick's character is having like a mental breakdown or is on drugs or whatever and is experiencing this or if this is actually like the animatronic circuitry in this somehow achieves some kind of consciousness. They haven't really said one way or another where this is the, where a pretty advanced is. sex bot yeah they're, they're they're leaving it open to interpretation at least as far as where i'm at i'm only like two or three episodes or sorry three or four episodes in so at any rate um i'm kind of enjoying that one but otherwise i've done like little bits uh, you know i've watched like one episode of several different things in there and I, at, so far nothing has just like truly grabbed me and go ooh, i've got to watch the next episode for going after all this short form content that Queeby did, mm-hmm. and their statement that 
we don't know if Queeby content will be available somewhere else. Stay tuned to find out. I don't know if there's a market out there for this, really. Well, yeah, I mean... I, but I mean, like, is Netflix going to pick up a 10-episode nine, a ten series that's nine minutes each? And that's, that's an interesting question because because of how short each full series is, even if you recut it together as a single episode, you're talking not even a full hour in most cases. So it's one episode of a series or a really, really short film. And, and if it's something that's supposed to be watched in these quick bites, yeah. when you cut it together into a single entity, let's say an hour and a half long movie... Oh, none of them are even that long. Okay, an hour-long movie. That, that I've experienced, uh, I don't think anything's over 45 minutes. Will it seem disjointed because it was meant to be watched in 10-minute increments? Does it stop right where the storytelling... Because it, it seems like it would be... It's, it's kind of like with uh, serialized novels, like, like The Green Mile, Stephen King's The yeah. Green Mile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right? when, when, you, when you write it, he, he's writing a story, but he's putting in these cliffhanger moments at the end of every piece of the serialized novel to get you to buy the next one to continue the story until he put it all together into one novel. But when you read it into one novel, you can see... And, and, and you feel those, those ending points within the book itself saying, okay, this is where this novel ended, obviously, because this is the cliffhanger that belongs here. Sure. So I'm, I'm wondering um, if you'll, you'll have that kind of... Dis- they, they smooth it out for the movie, but if yeah. you read it, you, it's there. I, I will say with the case of Die Hard, I think you could edit together and it would be a solid stream way through because... It is broken up, but I don't think it's broken up in such a way that if it were all cut together as a single one piece, that it would necessarily affect the presentation. That's how I feel about it. And then the the Anna Kendrick one, um, up to this point, I think also feels like a solid stream through because... It seems to me, and, and this is just my, my opinion on it, like they were all shot as one complete story arc, and then it was cut up. So if that's the way it was done, I could see them cutting it all back together as a single thing and then possibly putting it out on another service. But again, I think even the longest thing in there is only in like an hour long once you put all the episodes together, and it's probably going to be shorter than that once you cut out the the quick credits that are run at the end, the recaps on the ones that I've seen so far, and then just mash it together. Well, not mash, but make it a, a solid story through line. So Maybe if YouTube Red was still a thing. Yeah, right? Well, kind of. YouTube Red was kind of the first Quibi. Yeah, because it was, what, 15-minute episodes? A lot for, of the like, mo- for the most part. A lot of little 15-minute short films. And that's, not that's, all. I mean, the... the, the Cobra Kai was well, that yeah, way. yeah, yeah. That was, but that was like their first quote unquote series. Sure, but they had other series sure. as well. Uh, and it says, and it seems weird coming from somebody that worked on a lot of short films because you know a lot of times when we were working on these stories that you know they were saying keep it under 15, 20 minutes with credits and everything. So you want to be able to tell. I mean, it was for, for us because it was an assignment in some cases. 
it was a way to put artificial restraints on you so that you had to figure out how to tell your story within those constraints and budget constraints and time, et cetera. So you can, I think, tell a complete story in 15 to 20 minutes. Whether these particular instances you can or not, I don't know, which is partly why I had an issue with the, the service initially because, yeah, you can tell a, a good story in 15, 20 minutes, but can you do it in eight or 10 five-minute episodes? Yeah. To where those individual episodes are, are entertaining into themselves, yeah, but then also flow into a larger story as well, too. That's, and that's it, not easy. And it always seemed like the intended way of using the service was you're on a bus on a way to work. Yeah, you of watch, course it was. That's watch, exactly what it was. You watch an episode, maybe watch one on your way home, and then maybe forget about it for a few days sure. and then go back to it. And they launched a thing that's to be an on-the-go, heading-to-work thing uh, when everyone lost their work. Yeah, that's true, too. <laughs> so bad timing. But I, even even without the pandemic, I, I wonder how successful this would have been otherwise. I don't know. And it's weird how many stars and big names are attached to all these projects in there. And I'm like... And so many of them, I just could care less. It's Katzenberg, man. He's got influence. That's what it is. That's true. He does. News you don't give a shit about. Jared Leto has signed on to reprise his role as the Joker for Zack Snyder's updated version of the Justice League. Uh, Leto's Joker, who first appeared in 2016's Suicide Squad, was not part of the original 2017 Justice League, which was completed by writer-director Joss Whedon after Snyder stepped down due to a family tragedy. The new cut of Justice League will air on HBO Max as a four-part miniseries and include everything from additional scenes of Superman's resurrection to the legendary DC comic supervillain Darkseid. Leto's introduction is not the only personnel shift behind the scenes of Snyder's Justice League. The reshoots are also reportedly include kind of a, a soft exit for both John Berg and Jeff Johns, who had producer credits on the theatrical release of the film, those credits will reportedly not appear in Zack Snyder's Justice League. Both are no longer working in the same capacity at Warner Brothers, and they will have no hand in Snyder's new version of the film. Uh, Joe, uh, Man- I say his name, Mang- Mangiello? Uh, Manginello. I think it's Manginello. Joe Manginello will also, is set to pre- reprise his role as Slade Wilson, a.k.a. Dark, uh, Deathstroke. So, yeah, I think it is Manginello, yeah. So... It, it's it's this is such a weird thing. It's it's I'm so fascinated. I'm excited yeah. for this, but it's what's weird about it is like people are like we are finally getting the Snyder cut. And it's like no, you're not. No, this this there was never a Snyder cut. They're now giving him the money to create a new thing. <laughs> this is what's happening now. Well, it's it's weird because there apparently was a Snyder cut, but what we're getting is not that. Well, we're getting a much more expanded. And there, um, there was an unfinished Snyder yes. cut that, that, you, you that could, many you people could have seen. Yes, seen, but with stuff missing, with right. effects missing, and so on. Now this is being expanded out into a whole nother thing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's, so based, I'm sure, somewhat on his original vision, uh, but but now he's adding all these characters in, and of course the reshoots as, as brand new script pages. They're not like we need to reshoot stuff that we had scripted before. This is all new stuff. Yeah, it's it's not what it was initially presented as. You know, it was initially presented as we're giving Zack Snyder the opportunity to 
realize his original vision for the movie. And I'm like, this has gone beyond his original vision for the movie because he's now been given the keys to the bus and said, okay, you've got essentially unlimited resources and access to everyone and everything that you need. And he's like, ooh, I can make this something that I really want to make it now. Which I do appreciate. Years later, as opposed to when he was initially doing it. Because if you were getting an actual original Snyder Cut, it would have just been money to finish effect scenes because all this stuff would have been shot. Yep. Because if you have Snyder Cut, that means you have the footage. And if you have the footage, it's already cut together in that particular cut. You just have to finish the special effects. Yeah, exactly. So there wouldn't be any need for reshoots. There wouldn't be any need for adding characters. It's so it's neat. I think this is neat. Yeah. Uh, however, I do know that Jared Leto's Joker is a sticking point for a lot of people. He's very polarizing. I was one of the ones that did not like his presentation as the Joker. And it's weird for me to say because I really do like Jared Leto as an actor. I like many of the roles that I've seen him portray. Uh, you know, in Dallas Buyers Club, he's amazing. In um, uh, oh, I'm totally blanking out on the movie I, I'm thinking of right now, and it'll pop into my brain when it's not necessary. Fight Club later on, but uh, so I've enjoyed many of the different roles he's played. I mean, hell, I even liked he, even though he's not in it a lot, I liked him in Blade Runner 2049. But there was just something about his portrayal as the Joker in this film that I did not like. It is definitely not a traditional Joker to the comic books. There's there there's no, no it's, getting it's around that. It's very different. It's very different. And I don't normally have a problem with different when it comes to comic-themed um, movies and or television shows because in many cases, I like the original take, you know, taking it in an area that we're not used to or, you know, those kind of Elseworld-style storytelling devices but just the i just there's so much about the character that i just can't put my finger on now i know that he took method acting to an extreme with this character yes during the shoots like you know he was to a gross level like yeah exactly and you know granted i didn't find out about most of this till after i'd seen the movie so my opinion was already made up you know my opinion was already established before i found all this stuff but yeah, all the behind-the-scenes stories of people telling like he was he was the same on screen, you know, or on the set as off the set in this character. And yeah, I just I don't know. I I was not a fan of the portrayal. Um, whether the extra footage we're going to see because apparently they're going to address the the Robin element that you know we see the Robin suit with the ha 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 in the Batcave. In Justice League, whether they're go- apparently they're going to address that through reshoots or it's going to be a flashback, isn't it? yeah, it's probably, be a flashback. probably. But whether that'll change my opinion or not, I don't know. But as it stands right now, I was not a fan of his portrayal as the Joker, even in Suicide Squad. That's a cut that I would ra- rather see than the Zack Snyder yeah. cut. I would love to see that first. Uh, put together cut. I can't remember the name of the director who did Suicide Squad. Right. But that director, because I know that, according to him and others involved, that the studio just said, nope, we're going to do all this instead, and that's why we got the mishmash that we did. I'm not saying that his version is better or worse. Right. It could go either way. 
Frankly, it's probably worse. But I do know that it just in watching the movie, you can tell that there's a lot of Joker footage that went away. Sure. That, uh, that, that he was a more front and center character than what we saw in that final cut. Yeah, and, and David Ayer is the director, and he Thank you. had... He said there was a lot of footage that was shot that was essentially thrown away, not just Joker footage. And uh, Margot Robbie even confirmed that that sure. there, it was a much different storyline. Yeah, we'll never see. They're originally shot, and we're, then we're yeah. not going to get a Snyder no. cut of an Ayers cut of this movie. There's there's no money in it. And, and yeah, with the extensive reshoots, and um, you know, that was that's another victim of studio involvement where they you know they do a test screening and then they say, well. This, 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 and this didn't work, so they make the director go back and do reshoots and sure. stuff, as opposed and, to... And frankly, that's what happened to that original Snyder cut yeah. of Justice League. Sure. It went to the higher-ups and said, nope, 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 we need to fix this. This is not ready for prime time. Right. Uh, whether they were right or wrong, who knows? We will never know, uh, because we're not going to see that cut. We're going to see this new thing. Yeah, and now, apparently, it's even a question as to whether uh, Zack Snyder handpicked Joss Whedon to continue it or that was a studio assignment because you know it's out there um uh guy that plays cyborg whose name's escaping me right now has has now said that he stirred up some shit oh yeah i mean he's gotten specific where it's like he was very vague before he's now gotten into specific accusations and one of them was that they were told to say that zach handpicked joss whedon to finish the project where they're saying that that was not the case. They found out later on. And to his credit, Zack Snyder has not said one way or another thus far. So, um, he ain't no fool. And, and he does know Joss Whedon. So sure. whether that's a, you know, I know you, I'm not going to throw you under the bus, or if it's one of those, if you can't say nothing, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all situations, we'll probably never know. But I do know from, even from when we had our short interview with Zack Snyder, he seems like a very stand-up guy. He's yeah, he, he, he won some brownie points with Ugly Couch Show at that time. There's no yeah. doubt about it. He was, he was very, very gracious. Yeah, it, even to the point where he was frustrating his handlers. He's like, no, 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 ask your question, ask your question. We've got time, we've got time. Yeah. <laughs> so. I, I will say this, whatever you feel about uh, Zack Snyder's movies, as, as a person from what little we've had interaction with him, he's a good guy. Yeah. And even Sucker Punch, I think, was a... It was an, it was ambitious. It was, yeah. And it it's a dart that missed the board. Yeah, it was an ambitious idea, absolutely. And it is, whether, it is, whether it's his fault or not, it simply fell short of what he even he expected it to do. It, and he's even said so. You know, it wasn't... It didn't do the things I wanted... And whether, you know, he, and he's taken the blame for a lot of that too. He said, you know, you know, I didn't get to where I wanted to be. And, you know, Sucker Punch is the best Bjork music video ever made. And frankly, it's visually stunning. I mean, if you, you push mute on that and just watch it for the visual style, it's, it compares to nothing. Well, at least at the time that it came out. Bjork's Army of Me. I became a (laughs) fan of that song immediately after that movie. News you don't give a shit about. EA will be fined 500,000 euros a week by the Netherlands Gaming Authority should it continue selling loot boxes via FIFA's Ultimate Team video game. 
the argument over whether or not loot boxes in video games be whether they should be classified as gambling continues around the world. Some countries have already banned the mechanic or made the decision to uh, reclassify it as a form of gambling. However, other countries are still wrestling with it. In the UK, efforts have to have loot boxes reclassified ramped up this year after a student blew his life savings on PAX playing FIFA's ultimate team. Uh, PAX of players cost in-game currency, which can be bought with real-life cash. It is then a lottery as to the skill level of the players that can be found in those cards. All three major console platforms now require games to disclose loot box odds to consumers. However, in the Netherlands, further steps have been taken when it comes to FIFA. A ruling was made this week that Netherlands Gaming Authority will be able to fine EA 500,000 euros a week every week until the developer moves, removes loot boxes from FIFA's ultimate team in that country. EA has uh, three weeks to act before those fines begin. EA continues to argue that since FIFA's packs can only be bought in-game and have no monetary value outside of them, uh, that the mechanics should not be considered gambling. Uh, that's why the publisher plans to appeal the decision. Uh, yeah, it, you know, it, I, and it's, it pains me to say this, but they don't care. No, of course not. 500,000 euros a week, frankly, is nothing to them. EA, because EA announced this. I didn't put it in the news because it's, it's just numbers. Uh, but EA did announce that in the last three months, they have made a billion dollars in uh, microtransactions yeah. in their games. So, yeah, it, it definitely works. And they make a mint off FIFA. Yeah. Now, oh, it's it's one of their biggest titles. I yes. mean, it's it's at least in the top five. And I will say that worldwide, that is as much as I disagree with loot boxes as a mechanic. When I encounter them in some games, I enjoy the mechanic, but I know I enjoy it at an unhealthy level. Like it's it's the dopamine button that it's built to be. Sure, sure. I don't. I don't put any of my own money into the game to I use the in-game currency and basically grind in the game to get it. Right. It's one of the reasons why the Star Wars game, that last one that came out with uh, Battlefield, uh -huh. uh, the last one was so horrible because it was a grind to gain characters through loot boxes. Oh, and it, and it seemed like it was amped up for people that didn't want to buy the loot box. Like it, like it was made intentionally harder to play the game if you weren't yes. willing to pay for those loot boxes. It was. And I understand they've made some changes since to kind of balance that out. But when I played it early in their release, oh yeah, it was you chose your character, but somebody out there had Vader or Skywalker or one of the super tough characters that you can only get through opening lots and lots of loot boxes. And I, they got very lucky, probably not, or spent a lot of money, probably so, to get those characters. And it became a pay-to-win game. Yeah, I, I got so frustrated I never went back to it. I literally said, this is fucking bullshit because I'm not going to spend more money on a game that I've already purchased and that I can't play because every time I go on, I mean, like, one of the, one of, one of the times it sticks out specifically in my mind is logging on to a, you know, Battle Royale or whatever the fuck it was. And I didn't have more than about 20 seconds of life in any one of those matches. I was getting slaughtered repeatedly over and over. It's like Jeff, respawn, slaughter, respawn, slaughter. There's, there's only one thing to do about that, Jeff. What's that? Get good. Yeah. Well, Get good.
At any rate, yeah, I, 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 it was one of those things where, you know, it's like, respawn. Oh, there's Vader. Fuck, dead. It's like, respawn. Oh, look, there's a freaking lightsaber flying at my head. Dead. And again, EA has since rebalanced that game. It sure. might be better. Who knows? I'm not going to go back to it. Yeah, me either. Uh, and they p- apologized. But that's what EA does. They, they push the envelope on whatever it is, go past the line that people are willing to accept, then apologize and pull it back and try again later yeah. at a later date. It's like they did with their advertisements in the UFC game. Yeah, and, and, and like I said, it, the fine means nothing to them because they take it out from their bottom line. And it, it doesn't affect their bottom line. The execs are still going to get paid. The stockholders are still going to get paid. A the billion only, dollars in the last three months. Yeah, the, This the, is going to cost yeah. them 500,000 euros a week. The only people that suffer from these fines, and I hate to say it because fines usually are the only way to get companies to, ch- to make the change that they should be making on their own. But the problem is the fines are never... Punitive. Yeah, they're, they're never high enough to make it truly punitive, and they're never directed at the very people that make the decisions. And the people that suffer are the video game developers who are chronically underpaid, chronically overworked, and have no other choice but to continue going through this mentally and physically draining grind. And I got to admit, it's part of the reason why I have really stopped playing video games because every video game company that I think goes, Oh, okay. It looks like they're finally going to start treating their employees. Right. And they're not going to go through, uh, these heavy grinds towards the end of the game development and really essentially punish their employees. Whereas the, the man, the middle and upper management experience, none of this and reap all the rewards. And they keep saying, it's like, well, you know, we have to sell X number of copies so that the, you know, the people that develop the game can, you know, get their bonuses and stuff. And then sometimes they achieve those and then don't pay those bonuses. And then you're like, whoops, well, sorry, we forgot to take blah, blah, blah into account. So we're going to make sure that all of our higher ups get get paid. But you who can't even afford your apartment, um, you're not going to get the money that we promised you. So it, it's it's really disgusting. And yeah, it's gross. It's it's gotten it's out of hand. Yeah, and it really makes me. And it's sad because I love video games. I love the concept. I love the storytelling. I love the execution on most of these. But so often I just can't play them because I know all the shit that's going on behind the scenes. And you know, as you and I have said multiple times, you vote with your dollar when it comes to things that are owned by big corporations. And unfortunately, it doesn't make a difference in this day. Not when they're Maybe. this not when they're this powerful. No. Yeah. When they get so powerful it doesn't it you know, you're you're not even a drop in the bucket. You're not even a sand, a grain of sand on a beach to them. They don't even care. <laughs> We're here to make you feel good people. We love you. We love you so much. Sorry, I went off on one of my negative. No, that's all. No, it's trying to stay positive. But you're right. You're not. You're not saying anything that's wrong. It's right. I know, but well, that takes us out of news you don't give a shit about. But there is that little in between place called the Purgatorio. Rut row. Here in the Purgatory, after years in development, a Battlestar Galactica feature film adaptation is moving forward. Really? Simon Kinberg, best known for Fox's X-Men franchise, has joined the project to script and produce. 
a film adaptation of Battlestar has been discussed for more than a decade. No story details have been disclosed at this point. It's worth noting that the big screen version is not the only Battlestar project. Mr. Robot creator Sam Esmail and Assassin's Creed writer Michael Leslie are also at work on a new TV series adaption of the franchise for the Peacock streaming service. So Battlestar Galactica, the movie, which a standalone thing. Not, yes. It's not like a continuation of the Moore series or the 81 series or 80 series. It's a new, its own telling of Battlestar in two hours. How dare you speak of the 80 series? The 79 series is the only one. <laughs> <laughs> Galactica 1980 does not exist. <laughs> um, it, yeah. It's it's a, it's a weird thing. I, I started, and I fell off because something shiny. I started rewatching Battlestar during this whole pandemic thing. Cause sure. What else am I going to watch on Peacock? Right. Um, and it's it's great. Battlestar, Battlestar Galactica from sci-fi is one of the best science fiction series to ever hit television. Yeah. Bar none. And so I'm... It's it's one of those things like what more do you have to say? Yeah, uh, I I mean sure retell the story the story with amazing space battles and you can condense kind of the overall story uh, as far as the war story of it into a sure. movie I guess yeah. uh, if you take out all of the uh, underlying heavy sci-fi explorations of of religion and psychology sure. Um, I, you know, it's funny cause they talk about, you know, the movie's been worked on for a while. I remember, um, 25 years ago in, uh, Kansas city at a, uh, uh, uh Star Trek convention, uh, <laughs> Herbert Jefferson Jr. Who played Boomer in the original series talking about, uh, a movie that Richard Hatch was working on who played Apollo in that original series. You know, they were working on something at that time. And, you know, that here, that's like 1995. It might have been 96, but I'm pretty sure it was 95. Okay. Um, but it was going to be... It was... Going to be set in that 79, 80s universe. Yes. Th- later on. It was going to be a... Originally, it was supposed to be a theatrical presentation. So it was going to be a full-on movie set in that universe. Kind of a continuation because... Um, and then I... This was confirmed later on by Richard Hatch at another convention that I saw. I, I want to say the following year. And he talked about, we really didn't get to finish the story that was set out in that season, that really the only season that he was involved with. Universal spent all this time, effort, and money making the series that didn't continue after that original season, even though they there were so many more stories planned, but they only got to shoot so many of them. So this was supposed to be continuing that story. The movie was supposed to essentially be like a slight recap of the series, but continue with them on on their journey to discover Earth. And then it was supposed to be like a TV movie. Okay. And then it was supposed to be like a TV miniseries. So they were trying to figure out different ways to do this. And and when he was pitching the TV miniseries, it was supposed to be just, you know, like like the, the, the miniseries of the 80s and the 90s where, you know, you got like five two-hour blocks right. in, a, in a week or like five weeks in a row you'd get like the you know essentially the movie of the week style format so it wasn't going to be like an, a, a full expanded extension of the series it was going to be a a you know beginning middle and end so um 
it's interesting. I don't know where this movie is going to be centered. It's going to be completely its own thing is what it sounds like. Just, just, I a, think just it's a theatrical be, presentation. I think it's going to be a collection of space battles around the overarching humans running from robots they created. You're probably not wrong. I mean, it's one of the few series that Universal wholly owns, so who knows sure. how they would pres- and, fr- and frankly, that. I'm less confused about the movie that, than I am a reboot of a new series to go on to Peacock. Sure. That, that one really confuses me. Cause- yeah, because it hasn't been that long since the original, or I should say the sci-fi version wrapped up. It, so. Right, and I, again, what do you have to say? That's yeah. what it comes down to. What what do you have to say in a multi-season episode, uh, serial format? Yeah, and it, it is funny because as baffled as we are, the actors that were in that sci-fi series are even more baffled. They're sure. like, like we, we finished, you know? We said everything there was to say. What is this new series going to do? And they don't know. They've tried to talk to people that are involved and then find out, oh, the people that we thought were involved are not actually involved. So they don't know who is, right. is and working and they, on this. And they owned it outright, is my yeah. understanding. This isn't yep. like a, we have to use the option or we lose it kind of thing. Yeah, it's... Um, if I remember correctly, it's the Glenn Larson contract that allows them to be the sole distributor. Universal essentially be the sole distributor. So it's still, I guess, owned by Larson, but any new developments they can kind of do on their own through this contract. Sure. If I'm not Because if it was an option issue, you wouldn't have yeah. both of these. You'd have one. Yeah. Right? But you, would, you don't need to do a movie and a TV show to keep an option. Because if I remember correctly... Uh, when Ron Moore was developing the uh, the sci-fi series with David Icke, they didn't necessarily need to get Larson's permission to go forward, even though, if I remember correctly, they did go to him and say, hey, this is the idea that we have. You know, we'd like your blessing, blah, blah, blah. So who knows? We probably will never know, or sure. we, we won't know for, for you know, many, right. many years or a decade to come. And frankly, most won't care, but... I mean, shoot, I'm still finding out stuff about properties I love, oh, you sure. know, decades later. You're still finding things out about Back to the Future. Yeah, I, that's... Right? Yep. So let's... Hey, you know what? That, that's it for that stuff. Weekend Geek! Woohoo! Woohoo! And I'm going to start off Weekend Geek by announcing the book for the Geek Shock Book Club. It was chosen. Actually, it was kind of chosen even before the month began. And that book is J.R. Conkle's... That's K-O-N-K-O-L. Citadel Citadel of the Fallen. That is a fantasy novel written by Shock Monkey. Sounds like the title of a a song, too, kind of. Citadel of the Fallen? Yeah. It's very very Mastodon. All right. For for all of our musician Shock Monkeys, there's your assignment. Make a song out of it. (laughs) (laughs) Somewhere there, they're all like grabbing their hair and pulling it out. I was like, God damn it. Why they have to say that? Because now it's stuck in my brain. <laughs> I have started reading it, and boy, does it start off fast. It the action begins pretty quick and draws you in pretty fast. So I can give a pluses on the on the start of it. So uh, want join us in reading a fellow Shock Monkeys officially published book yeah. that just happened a few weeks ago. And so, Citadel of the Fallen by J.R. Conkle. So uh, and uh, discussions open up on the eighth on the. Shock Monkey Book Club Facebook page. Very cool. 
Now we're into Week in Geek, and it looks like Disney Plus confirmed that it has officially given the green light to a sequel TV series based on 1988's Willow. The fantasy movie was co-written, produced by George Lucas, and directed by Ron Howard. Howard is returning to executive produce the show, while Warwick Davis is locked in to reprise his role of Willow, Ufgood. Uh, John M. Chu, uh, the director of Crazy Rich Asians and In the Heights, will direct the pilot episode. It's written by co-showrunner Jonathan Kasdan, who wrote Solo, a Star Wars story. Uh, marking Lucasfilm's first foray into non-Star Wars storytelling since 2015, the Willow show takes place several years after the events of the movie and will introduce brand new characters into the mythos. Production of the Willow TV show is scheduled to kick off in Wales, where the first movie was shot sometime next year. Uh, Bob Doltman, who wrote the original film, is attached to the project as a consulting producer. Released in May of 1988, Willow was met with mixed critical reception and made $57 million at the domestic box office against a budget of $35 million. Val Kilmer, Joanne Whaley, Billy Barty, John Marsh co-starred alongside Davis. Like Jim Henson's The Dark Crystal, Willow is another 80s-era fantasy film that's grown in popularity over the years after an underwhelming theatrical debut. A sequel was released in the form of a book series. The novel Shadow Moon was written by Chris Claremont and George Lucas, published in 1995, and it was followed by Shadow Dawn and Shadow Star. Uh, I don't believe these books will be referenced as the TV shows. Uh, <laughs> Probably not. No. Uh, yeah, that all of the boxes for me approving this were checked off when uh, Warwick Davis and um, Ron Howard Ron Howard were attached to it. So I was like, okay, because before I was just kind of like, mm, yeah, I have to take a wait and see. But as soon as that was announced, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm fully on board. Did you ever read the uh, Willow sequel novels, the never, Shadow Moon? Nope, never uh, did. Let me let me tell you about reading Shadow Moon. Oh boy! Uh, when I read when I got it and read it, uh-huh. uh, I did not know it was a Willow sequel. Really? Yes, I just picked it up because Chris Claremont, one of the best X Men writers of all time, sure, is the author with a story by George Lucas. I mean, it says written as an author, but you know he didn't yeah. write it. He gave the story to Claremont. He just probably uh, dictated some story ideas, okay. and um, and uh, Claremont just kind of ran with it. You know, that's that's just kind of how my, how I work. But you become very aware <laughs> at the beginning that oh shit, this this is Willow. Yeah. Oh my god! And then they kill off Mad Mardigan and Jesus, <laughs> like in the first quarter of the book, and uh. and Sorsha is, is killed off in the first quarter of the book, basically wiping out. Uh, the the main characters are Alora Dannon and Willow versus a new big bad. I, it's, and it's convoluted, and boy, I lost my interest fast in that book. I would have, I probably would have shut it as soon as Mad Mardigan was killed because I cannot stand sequels where they bring in a beloved character only to die off to either drive the story forward or to take that character out of the storyline so that you don't go, what happened to blah, blah, blah. Sure, and usually that's because of an actor thing, some kind of like they want to get the actor back, yeah. they had something else they were doing, they just don't want to be a part of a sequel, and so they like, well, we have to say what happened to this character, so they write it off. Yeah. In a novel, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. So And Mad Mardigan is... One of the reasons to watch Willow. Yeah. Val Kilmer in that role is just a fun Han Solo-esque kind of character. Absolutely. Because, I mean, I mean, you know, 
the the biggest example I can remember of this is Alien Three. Oh, of course. You know, you know, <laughs> and it's all done through camera tricks, essentially, in a way, on and off screen in the first five minutes of the sure. fucking film, and it's like, okay, so it's another Ripley story, but. Did you really need to eliminate all the people that were with Ripley that made the last film so interesting? Well, one of them they kind of had to. They couldn't yeah. have Newt. Sure. Because they happened years later. That right. little girl is a teenager now. I mean, I understand that kind of a constraint, but come on. Yeah. Really? And then, you know, anyway, it's just I, I've always had an issue with storylines that do that. And, and, yeah, just like you said, doing that in a novel, really? Right. And Sorsha was basically the Princess Leia of that story, the right. the foil to Mad Morrigan's Han Solo. Yeah. And so, yeah, to, to, to kill them both off, it's like, well, you, you've, you've knocked out two-thirds of my favorite characters from the movies. I'm, I'm not happy with you right now. I hate to say it. That almost sounds like that was a, a Lucas story demand. It's like... Okay, so here's what I'm thinking. We do this, this, and this, and you have to do that. Yeah, it happens like 15 years later or whatever. Or so sure. Because, uh, or I, yeah, I think it's like that because uh, uh, Alora Dan and the baby in Willow is now a, a late teenager and sure. coming into her, into her own. Right. Uh, so I, I'm glad uh, that there's nothing about Shadow Moon in this new series. <laughs> that's that's for almost forgotten. I can people don't even remember that there's a a three book Willow fantasy series. Yeah, I I may have known it at some point, but if I did, I don't remember. And yeah, I I'm glad too. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm down for more Willow. I love Warwick Davis, and it's yeah. it, it was a fun, if somewhat generic, fantasy world. Sure, uh, but it's it's a it's a place that can be explored and make it less generic by just going deeper. I, I think having a generic story world isn't as detrimental to a film as long as there is a good story to back it up. And Willow is a perfect example of that. Sure. A lot of the presentation is, like you said, very generic. You know, there's there's not a lot of specifics known about the entire world that's involved in, but you're kind of thrown in with this character right. and his journey and the people right. that accompany him. You know, the, the classic hero's journey tale. So, but it's presented in such an interesting way that you almost kind of ignore the fact that you know nothing about this world because you're engrossed in the story that these characters are involved with. Yes, you're right. It, it is a character story. Yes. It's, it's, I mean, yes, they hit plot points, of course, and there's the big bad witch and whatever. Uh, and But because it is generic and there are no rules for how that world works, you can do anything. Sure. And that's what happens when you don't have constraints in... Storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. And and you you could tell it was basically Lucas wanting to go, I want to tell a story about the smallest person in the the land. With the biggest heart. With with the biggest heart can become the biggest hero. That's, (laughs) That's what it was. All right, let's. Uh, we've, we, of course, this is. Uh, we've been off for uh, for a week, and so, and unfortunately, the people we lost in this last two weeks have been uh, devastating. Uh, but uh, let's let's go through a few people that we lost, and uh, we'll. I'll go through and as we lost them. First off, we lost a Mars Champion, uh, actress and dancer who served as the real life model for Disney Snow White. She died at the age of one hundred and one. So yeah, yeah. You know, 
fine life lived. Right. At the age of 14, Champion dressed up as Snow White and danced two days out of the month for the animators so they could study and replicate her movements in the drawings. The process went on for two years. She was paid $10 for each day of work and also served as the model for the dwarf Dopey, which I didn't know. I didn't know Uh, that either. After Snow White, Champion modeled for several other Disney characters, the Blue Fairy and Pinocchio from 1940, uh, Hykaneth Hippo in Fantasia from 1940, and Mr. Stock in Dumbo in 1941. Yeah, the the, the early animation with Disney is really fascinating when you see how often they would take a live actor and either essentially rotoscope, they would trace the outline of the individual frames and then... You know, taking that base figure, animating around that, so you got that more fluid, natural motion. And then later on, they could use that. Um, they could take film footage and then just watch that footage and not necessarily trace it, but be able to replicate that on those cells and then animate it that way. It, it, that that early days of Disney is is really fascinating. And if you know? and Snow White's movements are amazingly fluid for that reason. Absolutely. Absolutely. Animation has cut corners since then. (laughs) You could say that. (laughs) And you'd be right. Dramatically. So also, of course, the big one this week, Sean Connery has died. 90 years old. Connery uh, launched into superstardom when he was cast as James Bond, played Bond in the franchise's big screen debut, Dr. No in 62, as well as five more times from Russia with Love, Goldfinger, Thunderball, You Only Live Twice, and Diamonds Are Forever in 1971. He won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor as Jim Malone in 1987's The Untouchables. Genre fans will remember him for playing King Agamemnon in Terry Gilliam's Time Bandits from 81. Uh, The future... Uh, futuristic Io Moon Police Marshal in Outland from the same year. Highlander from 86, uh, the other Highlander movie. Uh, Sir August de Winter in The Avengers in 1998. And the voice of Draco in Dragonheart in 96. And, of course, is Indiana Jones' father in The Last Crusade. And, of course, we can't forget Zardoz. Uh, Connery played that barbarian who teaches himself to read and eventually evolves intellectually. And in July 2000, Connery was knighted by Queen Elizabeth II, and Connery retired from acting in 2012. His last role, he lent his voice to the animated film Sir Beely, in which he played a retired Scottish veterinarian. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I, I'm not sad that he's gone because of so much that he's contributed, and he lived a, a full life. Yes. I mean, 90 is, is nothing to be ashamed of to pass away at and you know he left us so much great material he did and more or less he'd basically retired for the last 10 years i mean he really didn't do a whole lot so. no of course so and he pissed a lot of people off through his stance of sure. mis- personal misogyny through the years sure uh so so that's kind of tarnished his name over the years as well so it's yeah that's one of those tough ones and it's not from a you know personal attack kind of anything to say that i'm not Sad that he's gone, but it's more of a, he already gave us all he was going to give. Sure. And he already lived a full life, so it's not like somebody who was taken away from us far too soon. Right. That kind of, if that makes sense. I don't, and, and, I don't know and, if I'm being clear, no, no, audience, no, no, but... No, no, I think that clarifies it right right there. And I think that's a, a through with every single one of these people in this, in this list is that they did not die before their time. They did not... They're, they're leg, with their legacy unfulfilled. 
they're worth being remembered, but not necessarily mourned for. Right, I and, think is the and their gifts will point. continue to give for yes. beyond our lives. Absolutely. And the final one, the one that affected me the most, the one that just put me in a cloud of topor uh, when I found out was uh, James Randi. Yeah, that's uh, tough. James Randi's kind of a personal hero, and of course, anybody that's a, a fan of Penn and Teller knows the name very well. Uh, James Randi, the stage magician formerly known as The Amazing Randi, before going on to become a noted paranormal debunker. He was 92 when he died. Uh, Randi dropped out of school as a teenager to join a carnival road show. He began a key, uh, career as a magician in 1946 and made his name for himself as an escape artist. Randi soon became a regular guest on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson before going on to host his own show in the 60s. He also toured made several stage appearances during this time, including joining rock star Alice Cooper in his Billion Dollar Babies tour, for which Randy built several props, including the onstage guillotine, and performed onstage as a mad dentist and Alice's executioner. Uh, Randy's time as a magician was also marked by his honesty that the tricks and illusions he performed had nothing to do with magic or the paranormal, but were rather the products of misdirection and sleight of hand. In 1964, he offered $1,000 to anyone who could show scientific evidence of supernatural powers, an amount he would later up to $10,000. In 1976, he co-founded the Committee of Skeptical Inquiry, along with astronomer Carl Sagan, author Isaac Asimov, and a few others. The aim of the organization was to promote scientific inquiry and, to use, and the use of reason while examining any claims of the extraordinary. Randy would build on this by kicking off a second career as a professional paranormal investigator in that he would investigate the people who professed they could do something paranormal. Uh, he, all, uh, he went after illusionist, most famously illusionist Uri Geller, challenged him in person on an episode of The Tonight Show. He also exposed religious televangelist Peter Popoff's fraudulent methods on Carson's show as well. And I, 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 I had to pause this for No, a go ahead, go ahead. Popoff is the one that I can't believe is still around and still pulling the same shit, even after James Randi fully debunked everything that he's ever done. He is still fucking on TV. He's still fucking getting people to send him money yeah. for bullshit. That Miracle Water thing that I referenced on the yes. on the show a while back, where I was making fun of it, that's Popoff. Con artists, man. Yeah, they get in, they create this little cult of personality and. And unfortunately, get people who are too eager to believe in anything yeah. to believe in them. That's part of one of the reasons we're voting tomorrow. And in 1996, he founded the James Randi Educational Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to promoting critical thinking and investigating claims of the paranormal, which would later launch the $1 million Paranormal Challenge. For anyone who could demonstrably prove they have paranormal abilities under agreed-upon scientific testing conditions. While over 1,000 people applied over the years, no one ever won it. The challenge was terminated in 2015 when Randy retired at age 87. Following his retirement, Randy appeared on episodes of Penn & Teller's Showtime documentary series, Penn & Teller Bullshit, one of the best shows Showtime has ever had. Yeah, I, I, I remember him being in the, the episode where they... Um, demonstrate cold reading and how so-called psychics delve deep into you and make you feel like something was completely pulled out of the air and then you realize 
all the information that you've given them and all the little tells that confirm or, you know, you know, that they're on the right track to, to elicit a reaction from you or whether they need to rework their approach. And I can't say enough about his approach to critical thinking and how he tried so hard to make situations where people would start to analyze the things that were going on around them in the world and to reject this notion of fantastic explanations to things that were going on and discovering the real reasons why these things were happening. You know, not moving to the supernatural, finding the provable reason for things happening. And I do honestly feel like there are so few people today who are following in those footsteps. I'm glad Penn and Teller are still there. Um, they still are advocates for critical thinking. They are advocates for showing that there is no such thing as a supernatural and there's no such thing as real magic. Magic is illusion, misdirection. And teaching and, you to ask yourself the right questions yes. when confronted by a claim of the paranormal. It's one of the things I, I love so much about the Penn and Teller show is when they do a trick, oftentimes they show you how they do that trick. And then they'll show you an illusion that they don't necessarily explain until some cases many, many years later. Right, but, but, it, but it's in the vein of what Randy yes. would do by saying that Absolutely. What, what you're seeing is sleight of hand. There's no magic involved. We are tricking you because we're good at it. Because I, I remember him and Asimov and Sagan getting together and trying to start this movement for critical things. And, and there are still a number of followers of that vein of thinking but it does sometimes and i and i realize it's a product of you know educational funding cuts and you know choices being made by elected officials to keep the populace undereducated but it does seem like more so today than in the last i want to say a thousand years or so that people jump to a supernatural experience explanation for things that happen far more often than they did 50 years ago, maybe 70 years ago. I, I can't, I just know that as an adult, it seems like it happens way more often than when I was in grade school, well, it's junior a, high and high school. Sure. Well, it's the same kind of problem that you have in, in politics. Yes. It is that it is so easy to find confirmation bias in yeah. something that you already believe, and you go searching for things that will reinforce what you want or already believe versus searching out things that will challenge your beliefs. Absolutely. And, as, and, and frankly, on the political side, it goes both ways. I know True. that I fall victim to confirmation bias. Sure. And, and I try to fight it when I can. Uh, but with the... And that's... That's what I love Randy so much for. Uh, Sagan was my true introduction to skepticism, but it was through Sagan that I learned about Randy. Yeah. And then I learned about, then I read some of Randy's books and watched some of the old videos of him on Carson. Absolutely. And just, and just kind of love the man. And, and I've, and they have uh, uh, the, uh, like the, the foundation that he started uh, for skeptical inquiry. Uh, every year they would have their, event here in Las Vegas and and I hated it because something would happen that I would end up missing it every year and so I, I real very I feel so sad that I never got to see James Randi speak live 
when I had the, uh, the ability to, if I could only try it harder. Uh, but uh, he had a lasting and important impact on the world. Uh, I mean, I'm not, I'll, I'll give Connery his due. Right. You know, I'll give Champion her due. They, they made their contribution to art. Sure. But he made an impact on the world and, and changed lives and the way that people thought. Absolutely. And that's so much more important. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, the, the notion of question everything is not attributed to them, but they carried that quotation forward. He they because I I want to say Euripides is who it was it was associated with so that goes way back to sure sure and, ancient and, and, philosophy yeah, and thinking but, but it, it's it's one thing to say challenge everything but here's a guy that's going to teach you how to do it exactly that's I think that was kind of what I was trying to get to is that these are the guys that took that mantle up and said this is why you question everything and this is how to do it the right way versus automatically going, well, if I can't explain this, then there must be a supernatural reason for it, as opposed to, I can't figure this out right now, but that's not to say that I won't understand how that works in the near future. Right. Uh, I I can't explain why the sun goes across the sky, therefore God. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, I can't figure that out now, so let me develop the, the technologies to figure it out, as opposed to just saying, well, I'm not meant to know that, so... That search for science is still out there. Yeah. It just doesn't seem like it sometimes. And it'll get there eventually. <laughs> yeah. Science will eventually answer most of these questions I, I, uh, on a long enough scale of time. And I don't mean to sound so cynical. I do. Because I look at a lot of the youth today, you know, my nieces. Gross. You're grossy. I know you do. Nieces, I, know what you, I know what you look at on the internet. Nieces, nephews, <laughs> okay, and, not, and the, the not very that. young generation that's coming up. And it does seem like much more of them are trying to learn how to be critical thinkers moving forward. I would like act, to think so. Act with more empathy and reasoning than be driven by the lust for power emotion and saying, well, if I don't know that, I wasn't meant to. So... I have faith for the future. Wow. Just, this is coming from Jeff. Kay, are you listening to this? I know it seems like I don't at times, and I think it's more that I'm just really caught up in the now. And sad at lost potential, perhaps? Yes. But I do have hope for the future. Oh, I Jeff, I love it. I couldn't be a Star Trek fan if I didn't have hope for the future. Fine point. <laughs> Fine point. It's just sad that I might not see it in my lifetime. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we've wallowed in our sadness long enough. Uh, Netflix is putting $200 million plus budget behind an adaptation of The Gray Man, starring Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans. The plan is to make a new franchise out of the spycraft material from author Mark Greeny. Hmm. Greeny is also known for taking over Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan series after the author's death. Joe and Anthony Russo will be directing. The film is uh, written by Joe Russo alongside his frequent MCU collaborators, Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. The story is a traditional spy fair. Uh, Spy slash assassin Court Gentry is being hunted by his old CIA co-worker Lloyd Hansen. The movie looks to set up a series that will take the same route as the books, which kicked off a best-selling franchise. Production looking to begin in January. 
Nice. So I like it. Two. That uh, that's. I, th- I think that's the most Netflix has put behind a new show. Two hundred million dollar budget. Yeah, that's that's it's that's impressive. I mean, the, the budget's impressive. The pedigree behind it is impressive. Um, that's big names across the board. Yeah. Stars, directing, writers, all of it. I like it. It sure seems like <laughs> it's hard not to get negative about Netflix at times because it, you know, with with the the massive wave of cancellations they've done recently to series that they said they were going to continue and then change their mind on. But it does seem like at times they really are trying to become the next production house slash presentation network. So we'll see. Yeah. I, but I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to see how they do it. It's or how well they do rather. And I realize Netflix now massive corporation. Yes. Uh, down with the corporate masters, but <laughs> uh, they have been doing a lot of artistic soul searching in the creation of their their shows, and have been for a while. Yeah, they they are known for quality shows and doing what other places aren't. In fact, you could easily argue that HBO and Netflix have caused the rest of TV to step up their game. Yeah, it's um it's something that I've complained about before, where the you know the continuous rehashing of the same storylines or, you know, taking another movie, rebooting it with the same story and not really adding anything new to it because it's just much more financially sound. And then there are so many storytellers out there that have fresh original ideas that seem like they're not getting their due. And then you have HBO stars, Showtime. Right. I mean, whenever I mean, think of the the pedigree. When Netflix, we do when yeah. we do red light, green light. Yeah. When it starts off, Netflix or HBO or yeah. Stars is automatically it gets extra points just for that. That distribution hub is the one that is doing it. Exactly. They definitely seem like they're more open to fresh original ideas than, frankly, a lot of the studios are are interested and it's funny because i remember reading a, uh, an interview with some studio exec saying you know we do produce fresh original ideas occasionally but we stick with a lot of the more bankable ideas because we have to keep the lights on and i'm like i get that from a business standpoint but when every, it's about mitigating risk yeah as i guess that's exactly what i was getting at because every film or television show or actually any any media production that you do that's a scripted piece sure carries with it an extreme risk i.e. what if it doesn't get sold what Lot, if it lots doesn't, of money yes. lots of jobs because it's one of the few things where you have to put up all of that money up front without knowing if you're going to get any kind of return but it seems but it seems like Netflix and yes. HBO in particular are willing to risk that money more than most. Yes, exactly. That's what I was that's what I was kind of going to get at, but I was taking the long way around. <laughs> cuz yeah, I mean, you know, I get cynical about it cuz you read stuff like the Hollywood Economist and you, you when you understand how the studios work and how they are essentially built not to ever lose money even though they still occasionally do, but not to the extent that we as the public think they do. Right. Why they make the decisions they do. 
moving forward with what movies get made, etc. It is nice to have outlets like those that do give us things that either we haven't seen before or maybe we think we haven't seen before. Sure, and now we have all these new streaming services trying to step up to the plate and do exactly right. that. Uh, and, uh, so far, I mean, yeah, I, I hear some good things for the Apple shows. Sure. So they seem to be stepping up the plate. Uh, Peacock, not so much. They've already lost their, they've already canceled their first big show that they put out on there. Right. Uh, Brave New World. Yeah. That's been canceled. Uh I mean, HBO Max, but that was going to be, it's HBO. Yeah. You get all their new shows plus the shows they make just for that. Right. Uh, what Disney, of course, they, they've got big names to bank on. Well, and, and with the recent corporate, corporate shuffling at Disney, it's definitely, Disney Plus is definitely a huge part of their business model moving forward, even more so than I think even anybody realized when they launched it hell i'd say even more than they themselves as a corporate entity realized when they launched it because a lot of with the the way things are right now the pandemic going on it became a much more important part of them presenting their productions than even they thought it was going to be and the same could be said for a lot of the streaming services i mean you know you have uh, CBS All Access now that CBS and Paramount have remerged and they're going to be renaming Paramount Plus. Yeah. That's also because they need a way to present a lot of the things that they've been producing. And so it's, you know, if you'll pardon the, uh, the pun, it is a brave new world. No. And we are, I mean, we're moving forward into unknown territory. I mean, Peacock has a lot of promise, but well, that's that, probably going to end up being a way for Universal to present shows that they wanted to put in theaters but now have no opportunity well, to. Well, I think we just answered our own question from earlier. Why is Peacock doing a Battlestar Galactica show for Pe a brand new one for Peacock? To get people to subscribe to Peacock because people like Battlestar Galactica. That's yeah. probably the only reason. Yeah, and and... I am interested in some of the projects that I heard Peacock is working on and are set to premiere, unfortunately, not until next year. Sure. So everything's on the back burner. It's just the way it is right now. Yeah. And, in you know, it's one of those where they had a set launch date, they launched, and then productions got halted. So a lot of the projects that they were working on either got canceled or moved to next year. Um, we are starting to see a few of them. The majority of their original series are foreign productions yes. that are presented. There's one that I watched that I actually kind of liked that um, had Christopher Plummer in it. It's about an airline flight that disappears. And it's it's a kind of a neat, neat intrigue-based series where they're trying to figure out what happened to this, how this happened, why it happened, etc. That was fun, but it, it's a British production that was... I won't say imported directly, by, but it might have been co-produced by NBC Universal, so they could get the right to show it here domestically. But it was it was enjoyable. Um, I got to look the name up of that because I can't think of it right off the top of my head. I watched it like a couple months ago, and I forgot to bring it to the show. 
I've got time for one more story, and it's a quick one. Sure. Uh, Will Wheaton is hosting a reality competition all about video games. You mean Will Wheaton? That's the one. Wheaton will serve as the commissioner for the esports series Game Master, which will air on both Amazon Prime and Twitch. The show will focus on 24, quote, major video games in which 12 amateur gamers will compete. Someone goes home each week with the final two battling out for the $100,000 grand prize in a live finale. The nine-part series will begin shooting in January 2021. Yeah, good on him. I, I'm... I will... I will uh, unless he ends up uh, killing and eating my dog, I'll, I'll, I'll always love Will Wheaton. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm very glad he's, he's found himself now because the more that he has presented about his his youth and you know all the trauma that happened to him and the fact that he's so open about it now in a way to heal from it but also to alert others as things to look for especially if you're in the acting business or you're in the you know the industry any in any role how unfortunately sometimes family members don't have your best interests in mind when they push you into things but the fact that he's he's survived all that found himself and is now doing things because he enjoys them as opposed to feeling obligated to do that is is really um really truly um a great thing to yeah. to witness God, I'm having trouble finding my words today. It's like it's, I, no, I know what I want to say in my no. brain, but it's not coming through. But that's yeah. just called being human. I, I just I love hearing. I mean, I, I follow him on you know both Facebook and and uh, I don't think he's on Twitter anymore, but no. he's on um, uh, Instagram, and I love his little stories talking about the things that he's enjoying doing now, and he's he's just such much much more positive and forward thinking now than he was even as short a time as 10 years ago where he just really was struggling with, you know, is this an industry I even want to still be involved in? You know, what things do I like to do? And then, oh, there's other people that have been through what I've been through and are supportive. And uh, yeah, he had a, a great little interview with Jonathan Frakes and Patrick Stewart and, and uh, thanked them for, kind of being the parents that he never really had. And, and they both were just like, they had no idea how much of a struggle it was for you at the time, but you've turned into such a, you know, wonderful, you know, human now. And, and you know, it was kind of a, it was a neat thing to watch. Sure. And uh, it's glad that he still has that support from not only his co-stars, but uh, all of the people that have been involved with him since then. So yeah, he's got a good support, and uh, and I'll watch him host a video yeah. game show. Of Absolutely. course, I will on Amazon Prime. Sure, I'm paying for it anyway. Why right? Not? Jeez, tell me about it. <laughs> so I mean, there, there's been some other attempts at video game shows. I know Quibi sure. had one apparently, yeah. um, and they there was that one that we announced was happening, and apparently it happened, and nobody cared. That one that was about The Sims. Yep. Like what? I don't know what even. What I'd never heard about it ever since we said it. I, I can't even guarantee it aired. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it ever did. Um, and then, of course, from our youth, Starcade, which was the original, the OG, the very short-lived uh, series. Right. It, it's a. 
I think it lasted about 24 episodes. Yeah. But I mean, I meant as far as like it didn't. Sure. Get... It, it didn't stand the test of time. No. But I tell you what, they should goddamn bring back Stargate. Yeah. I think as the technology is so much better today, they could do a lot more with it. Sure. I mean, but make it a retro games thing. Ooh. Whereas you do play the old arcade machines like they did back then, uh, but also might incorporate other retro game things like Nintendo and television. Uh, God forbid Nintendo VR. <laughs> uh, but just where you don't know which game you will be playing. So you can't really have a whole lot of practice. See, the kids who Starcade, if you're not familiar, game show in the '80s, yep. uh, aimed toward smaller kids and and young teens. Only went one season, right? And you answered questions about video games, and whoever got the most score got to play ver- first. Got to choose like one of three video game arcade cabinets. Yep, and they got to go first on it and had to and had to get the highest score the other person would play try to beat that score they did or they didn't they would win that round they go to the next round until there's a final one there was just one player left and they had to reach a certain score level within a certain amount of time yep. on a brand new arcade machine that's out there somewhere and if they won they got to keep the arcade machine they played on that was basic and that they had a bunch slew of other video gamey prizes back then yeah, I remember the uh, the cabinet introductions so much because a lot of times that was that contestant's first exposure to that particular game, sure. and 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 in some cases it was you know us as the audience's first exposure to that video game, and of course made you want to go out and find that in sure. your local arcade. And you can watch they're on YouTube if you want to watch old yeah. episodes of Starcade; they're all there. Exactly. But I, I think that's a that's a concept that could work really well in today's video game saturated world to, and there, there's so much love for old arcade systems. Right. And not or arcade old video game systems yep. that having a Starcade, which covered more than just those stand up arcade machines that you found in the co-op. I keep looking at your damn star Wars, <laughs> uh, stand up arcade machine. That's in your kitchen right here. I got it on sale at Christmas time. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Didn't come in until January what, 15th or something like that. But yeah, it was like one of those Christmas sales. And I'm like, this will be my Christmas present to myself. <laughs> Would you watch Starcade? Write to us. Comments at UglyCouchShow.com. And until next week, I am Master Torgo. And 80s Jeff. And uh, next week, hopefully, as long as tests and safety goes well, we should have Kay back uh, to join us in our ventures. And until absolutely. then... Uh, keep stay safe uh, if you're listening to this on the Tuesday I know it might be a stressful day uh, so we're, we're hoping we can help distract you a little bit from that uh, but uh, yeah we'll see you next week in Geek yeah let's try to t- let's try to stay positive everybody <laughs> you, know, you know what I you know what has been my band-aid What's here that? in this last like week and a half yeah I've watched about two seasons of the West Wing oh yeah <laughs> just to see competent smart people in politics, in action, <laughs> just 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 as a oh, if only if. Well, I mean, there's something to be said for aging out of a particular job, and you know, we have a lot of people in Congress, and you know, frankly, on both sides of the aisle that are past the point where they probably should retire because you know it's it's a proven fact. After you get to a certain age, you stop embracing modern day things and start getting really 
jaded about you know how things how you you think you remember things used to be when they they truly weren't that way or embracing the fact that the world is always changing and we either change with it or we die (laughs) i I just really just want to be josh lyman (laughs) there you go donna (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.